Hi again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast. This is episode number 56 now already. I'm your host, Phil Huber, joined, as always, with the usual cast, John Doyle and Logan Whitmer. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the method of madness, or madness of methods, and also tools that just work right for you. I hope you'll stick around and enjoy the show. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com. Special thanks to Craig for sponsoring the TV show and... uh... For everybody who's listening this week, on Monday, there will be a bunch of brand new Craig tools out that we're excited for people to see. Okay. Yeah. So I think we have two main topics that we want to get to in today's episode. And the one that you suggested, John, I think was kind of interesting because it goes to the fact that we've started filming season 15 of the TV show. And in that, we've got we've got about two episodes in. Just got to finish up a couple of segments, barring Midwest blizzards. And, um, you know, we always shoot the episodes, usually following the order of the plans. Where we'll differ from the plans is some of the methodologies for taking care of some stuff. Um, partially to just show that there are different ways to do certain things and all of them are legit for the most part. But I think some of it also reflects our personal biases. So do you want to elaborate maybe? Uh, yeah. I, um, what made me think of the topic was, like you said, uh, we were shooting the TV show and Logan was working on the base for a bookcase and doing the mortises on the legs and he was showing it on camera um using a mortising chisel and you know chopping it out eighth inch chunks at a time and and doing it that way which i've never gone to the trouble to just chisel out a mortise (laughs) and maybe that's something i need to do just take the time and just (laughs) chisel out a mortise by hand but have you ever really lived if you haven't right that's the thing i feel like i I haven't lived yes. really yet. So so that's what made me kind of think of that because it's like we showed on camera chiseling out a mortise with a chisel. Yep. And then, all right, we have, let's see, eight more or seven more of these to do. We're running to the mortising machine and we're just <laughs> going to hog these out. So it's like yeah. – and, and I don't know if that's even my, like my standard mode of operation that I would go to the mortising machine just because, um, I don't know, usually at home I'll – or if you said, go make a mortise right now, I think I would probably go to the drill press with a Forstner bit or Brad Point bit and drill out the majority of the waste and then clean it up with a chisel. But then I think if I had the time to set up and, and I was doing a project for myself, I'd probably go grab a handheld router and use some sort of mortising jig and and do it that way just because it it's the cleanest and the fastest. So I don't know. That's what made me think of it was just all the different ways that we do stuff or why we do it that way. And 
and what's the fastest and what's the easiest as far as setup. And so that's what kind of, I guess, brought up the topic. Yeah. So I don't know. So uh, let's be clear. In my woodworking, I don't hand cut mortises all the time. <laughs> Just to be very transparent. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a fun it's a fun thing to do once in a while, uh, and it was cool, I think, to show it on camera, showing that hey, this is how you would hand chop a mortise if you wanted to hand chop it. Yeah, <laughs> right. And get yeah. time for that at home, right? You know, well, it's it's yeah, it's the most traditional way, and it just shows that I don't have to go out and spend thousands of dollars on tools. Get a chisel, a nice sharp right. chisel, and and you can make mortises. You can yeah. make tenons. You know, grab a handsaw. You know, I mean, you can start low tech and and go from there. All the other the tools just kind of make it more efficient, faster, yeah, easier. Well, and I think that's that's where myself and my woodworking. There's like different tiers, right? For every process you can do, there's different tiers. There's like the hand way to do it. So in this example, using a mortise chisel and just walloping him out. Right. And doesn't look the greatest generally, mm-hmm. especially on face grain birch, like, <laughs> like that mortise was, uh, next is in my opinion, the drill press, right? Mm-hmm. It gives you a pretty good mortise. It's not as fast as like a mortising machine, but it gives you a pretty good mortise. And then the next step up would be a mortising machine or a router. I, I don't know that I don't know that I would say one or the other is better versus worse, but yeah. I think they give you the most accurate and the cleanest mortises. Sure. I think I think a router is by far the cleanest mortise you'll get. Yeah. So. Right. And I guess when it comes to mortising in my shop, generally I do have a mortising machine. I have a little Delta uh, hollow, chisel, hollow chisel mortiser. Um, so if I'm doing a lot of mortises, yeah, and and that works for it, sure, that's how I'm going to do it. But if it is uh, me at home and I just have a couple to knock out, I'm probably going to grab my router. So especially if I'm doing, I've been doing a lot of loose tendons lately. Yeah. Um, that's generally the way I'm going to do a mortise. I think all my tendons are loose tendons. <laughs> <laughs> Either too tight or too loose. I don't know which one. Yeah. You know, and I know in the magazine we've shown kind of the default way of making mortises has been using a drill press with a Forstner bit and then cleaning it up with a chisel. Cause I think that was, it was a decision made years and years and years ago that it was using the simplest common shop tools sure. to do it without being specialized. And I've wondered or debated like, is that really, is that really the case anymore? Mm-hmm. Is a drill press that common of a tool to show? Compared sure. to say a small plunge router mm-hmm. and a and a spiral bit, because if you you know if you have a a plunge router and an edge guide, you can make some pretty fantastic mortises. Oh, for sure. I think what I what I like about the 
method of a drill press or a mortiser is that you can really locate the ends very well. Not saying you can't with a plunger outer, it's just a little harder to hit that consistently across, let's say, four legs. Sure. Right? And it that begs the question, it doesn't really matter. If your mortises are just a hair taller than your tenons, you have that little bit of play that you can flush everything up as you're clamping and yeah. gluing and assembling. But I know for myself, when I do that, I always forget to check those dang shoulders, and I'm taking a block plane later to flush everything up. So, Right. You know. Although I will say I would agree with you that I've been doing a lot more loose tenon joinery yeah. lately than I have traditional mortise and tenon. For sure. Mm-hmm. Which I think it's just strong. I mean, oh, yeah. I don't... There's something to be said. Now, n- none of us own a Festool Domino, right? No. Although we have one on loan from uh, our former editor, Brian Nelson. Uh, I like, I really like that mentality of just cut the part to, to the right size and then tenon it, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, okay, I got 20-inch rail plus an inch and three-quarter tenon, so this is how long I need to make these parts, blah, blah, blah. Just yeah. cut it to 20 inches. Yeah. Um. So, and I think when you start working on angled parts or curved parts, loose tenon is by far easier. Yeah, because that's what you used on your dining table. It is. And that that was the main reason I did loose tenons is because those curved side aprons or whatever, uh, it's like you have like a... 72 degree angle on the ends it's like okay now how do i make that into an integral tenon like no mm-hmm. screw that <laughs> like yeah and like route you... a three inch slot and throw a loose tenon in there right and like you said measuring the length of that to get the length right and then how do i cut the tenon on an angled part and or curved part and yeah definitely complicates it so yeah um, so speaking of using a router to make mortises, um, when you have a routed mortise, do you square up the mortise or round the tenons? Uh, I might, I might not do either. <laughs> <laughs> he just he shoves it together. You don't even need well, glue that way. It's a compression fit. Well, yeah. let's look at it this way though. Say you. You know, kind of a common furniture scale mortise is a quarter of an inch wide. Yep. So I'll route, you know, like for, you know, a frame and panel, you know, style and rail assembly. So route that mortise with a quarter inch straight bit or spiral bit or whatever. Mm -hmm. And when you go to make the tenon, all you need to do is make the tenon width a quarter inch shorter yeah. Than the length of the mortise, and you just press it home. Yeah, it's you true. know, because I don't personally, I don't feel you know like the the glue strength is in the cheeks of the sh- of the tenon and the walls of the mortise. Mm-hmm. Um, the shoulders around the tenon are going to create the anti, you know, they're going to prevent racking and register yep. the joint. So that end to end, whether that is a piston fit or doesn't matter. You know, because, you know, with a, with a quarter inch bit, you know, that's an eighth inch radius on there. 
So you're only losing an eighth inch off of each edge of the tenon. So to me, yeah. it's not even worth it. I just cut the tenon shorter and put it together and skip a bunch of unnecessary sure. steps. Yeah. yeah. See, on my, on my table loose tenons, I made those with a mortise or with a router. So they were rounded. But then I, I did route a strip at the table or the router table sure. to add around over the edge before I come to size. If it is an integral tenon, uh, I honest, quite honestly grab this. I just grab my, my little joiner's knife, my little Sloyd knife, mm. and I'll just hit the shoulder and then just flick off a 45 degree chunk, you know? Right. Um, cause, it, and that, that's one of the things is like, it doesn't matter how the tenon looks as long as you have the glue surface. Yeah. Like as long as, as long as it fits and you have the glue surface, it doesn't matter how it looks. So I don't care if it <laughs> corners are knifed to 45 degrees. I don't, I can whittle them to 45 degrees. I can chew them to 45 degrees. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And I'll so. usually use a rasp if I end up yeah. doing that. And again, it's not really to get a perfect match on there. It's just to knock off the, corners enough to get it to fit yeah so i feel like every time you see that where you have a a rounded routed mortise and then a perfectly fit either tenon or loose tenon is only for a publication and that's the last time that person's ever done it (laughs) what yeah. I'm totally open to being wrong on that. And if somebody is listening and wants to dispute the fact that your tenon should fit perfectly end to end, then we can have that discussion. But I don't I don't see that it's being all that necessary. And like so, you said earlier, I like having that extra ability to make sure that my ends and edges are flush. Yeah. Yeah. So do you guys, when you make a tenon, so say you mortise to an inch deep. Do you make an inch tenon or do you make seven eighths inch tenon? I usually make the mortise both deeper than it probably should be because there's always like little chunks, you know, yeah. chunks at the bottom, and then also make the tenon shorter by okay, you know, a little bit just because it's like that's I don't want to be fighting that. That's not what what's holding yeah. it together is the you know that little bit of extra length and so kind of what um you said phil about the 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 width of the mortise i mean you don't if it's a little longer that's fine same if it's a little deeper or the tenon's a yeah, little short yeah. you don't want to be fighting that when you go to clamp it together and there's chunks down there or... right yeah. so i will say that the only way that i or the only instance that i make sure my tenon is a like let's call it a piston fit is if one of the faces or walls of the mortise is very, very thin. Hmm. If okay. that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. like where my um, mortises ended up on my legs on my dining table, it left about an eighth inch wall on one side of the mortise. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's that's a little thin. I don't want that like tinny sound if you would flick it. You know what I mean? Like not that somebody's going to be flicking the legs on my table, like knock it off. Uh, but like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't want that X. I don't want that room behind the tenon where you could maybe punch through that sidewall. Right. So, yeah. So then in that case, do you have to like drill a little hole in it to let the air escape as you're assembling? 
Your piston <laughs> no. fit. Mortise and tenon? No. No. So another question, I mean, we've been talking mostly about mortises, but it relates, I think, to a lot of different types of joinery, too, of having methods. You know, we've talked in the past about sharpening, and one of the ways to be a better sharpener is to just pick a method and stick with it. And I wonder if, does that apply or how does that apply to other woodworking then too? Like say making mortises or cutting grooves, like should you just kind of be a, an expert in one particular method? Cause I feel like sharpening, stick with a method, go with yeah. it. But it's something like mortising, like you should have, you know, one that you use most often, but have a couple of other other skills in the back pocket that you right. can use depending on the situation. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because if you have like a mortising machine and that's all you know and you get used to it, but then you might hit a situation where the piece doesn't fit in a mortising machine and you have to come up with some other method, you should probably, you know be proficient there too. So in emergencies, if you have to make, if it's a mortising emergency and like you're stuck on the side of the road and all you have is like jumper cables and a shovel, you should be right. able to make a mortise with that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. It helps having a couple different methods that way. Well, I think that's a, that's a good, a good point that you make John is like, there are instances where your standard method might not work, right? So if you're cutting, if you're cutting um, grooves or dados, and you always do it at the table saw, well, what happens when that when you have to put a dado in the bookcase side that's eighty four inches long and thirty inches wide? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, like you can't really. I mean, you might be able to muscle that to the table saw, but now it's time to get out the handheld router. So right. there's there's definitely. I don't think it needs to be an either or. And and I find myself doing that. It's like, I need to make a mortise real quick. Uh, I prefer to use a mortising machine or a router table or drill press. Or mortising machine or a router. But if I just need to make one, yeah, I'm going to throw a force in her bit in the drill press and just <laughs> hog it out real quick. Because that's that's way more simple than trying to find a sharp bit, getting a edge guide set up, finding an edge guide that fits on the router. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, right. So yeah. Sometimes it's just whatever is going to be quickest, I guess. And give me a good result. Yeah. Yeah. I like to use the, the table soft to make, um, grooves and, and dados and wrap. It's just cause it's, I feel like it removes waste better than a router. seems like when you use a router, they always, you always get that, all that junk built up in the, the grooves sure. and stuff. But, like the the bookcase that we were just doing, it's got a lot of stopped um, dados in it. So it's like, well, you can't really do that at a table saw. So you better know how to use a router and a straight bit and set that up either with a jig or a straight edge and and do that do it that way. So yeah. So tenons, are you guys? You guys table saw tenons? Are you hand cut tenons? Are you router table tenons? Loose tenons? <laughs> I, I typically do the, the table saw tenon with the, the data blade and laying it flat when when you can do it that way. And 
call it good. Get it close and then clean it up with the shoulder plane. So, about you guys? Uh, I liked using a, a tendoning jig on the table saw, which I know is its own interesting kind of thing there. So, uh, so but, like a one blade method. Yeah, like a one blade. Um, okay. I know that it ends up being several different steps because you have like the cheek cuts, the end shoulders, and then the, you know, the big long side shoulders as separate steps, which I, not a big deal for me. But now I do, I think I do pretty much, if I'm not doing loose tenon joinery, uh, I do tenons on the bandsaw. I just feel mm -hmm. like it's a pretty efficient cut. Um, but that being said, it's, I do kind of a combination method. So I'll do the main cheek cuts on the bandsaw, but I'll do the shoulder cuts with a handsaw. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, and the bandsaw is one that I've started using to do tenons and it's like, it's surprisingly fast, surprisingly efficient, and it works really well. Like, yeah, I've always been, I've always been under the mindset that the bandsaw leaves a fairly rough cut and depending on how your saw is set up, it can. Yeah. And but, the blade. And the blade. Well, and as I say, and the blade, it, the blade makes a big difference. So if you're doing, um, like that's how I did, you know, the bookcase we're building on the show yesterday. That's how I did the tenons was on the bandsaw and man, they like whacked right together. It was like, this is, this is actually works awesome. You know? So I, uh, I, I've started to really enjoy the the bandsaw method for for tenons. So, mm -hmm. with a couple couple little magnetic stops on there, works great. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. I'm I've been impressed with how well you know having converted to just using a bandsaw for stuff, how smooth of joinery cuts you can make with it. You know whether it's yeah. tenons or half laps or a bridle joint or something like that. You can you can get surprisingly smooth cuts. And then once you glue it up and assemble it, it's, yeah. you know, it's tight. Yeah. Well, it's, and that's funny because, and we, we've, we've said this and I think we've said it like on this show so far, there's a bunch of different ways to do stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting when I was, I, I took a carving class a couple of years ago with Al Breed and Al Breed's a really well-known, um, Carver furniture maker, kind of a, a period reproduction furniture maker. And he always said, you know, I would really like to, if I was, you know, looking at the, the most, the most elaborate, well done carving ever. He's like, I don't want to see their final cuts. I want to watch them make their first cuts because those are the most interesting. Those are the ones you can't see. So, you know, it's, it's kind of along the, it's kind of along the lines of, the process you take doesn't really matter. It's all about the results. Yeah. So, and it's like, that's why I, I don't understand when I, I listen to a, a Turner that is a you know, quote traditional Turner uh, using cutting tools and they just bash on carbide tools. And it's like, guys, it doesn't really matter if, if somebody wants to turn with carbide, let them. I mean, you can't, if you, take the proper steps on both high-speed steel and carbide tools and you end up with the same pro you know project you'll never tell which one was done with which right so 
the the process doesn't really matter and results the only thing that matters yeah and if you're enjoying yourself doing it yeah then that also yeah speaking of enjoying ourselves dovetails everybody hates mm. cutting them yeah see well, how this... would you cut them john okay. router table <laughs> okay that's fair yeah. phil how would you cut them uh i would cut them by hand okay okay so and that's well, I'll, we'll talk about this a little bit when we talk about what I have going on in the shop. But like, I've been doing a lot of a lot of dovetailing the last couple of days, and I thoroughly freaking enjoy cutting them by hand. Like, it's just one of those. And in the past, when I've cut dovetails, it's like I ah, just get it done. You know, just plow through it. It it can be tedious, and so just get through it. But the last couple of days, I've just really enjoyed it. I've been going slow on them. You know, just throwing music on and enjoying it. And it's like, you know, if I want to enjoy it, I'm going to do it by hand. But if I need to do a bunch of them, and I'm going to say this, I hate router dovetail jigs. I hate them. Hate them. They're a pain mm-hmm. in the butt to set up. They're finicky. They just, I don't use them enough to be proficient at setting them up. Um, I can get them set up and I can use them and I've done it. And if I'm going to make a bunch of drawers, like if I was doing a, you know, chest of drawers that had 30 drawers in it yeah i'm gonna use a dovetail jig with a router um but man i just really love cutting them by hand that's the only there are processes i think that it's like hey if you enjoy it that way do it that way because you're gonna enjoy what you're doing so much more oh yeah so yeah and i think you know i know some people because there are some pretty awesome router dovetail jigs out there there are and i think my beef with them has always been I never used them enough to truly get it. So it's like you have to, yeah, you know, read through the manual six times mm-hmm. and do eleventy-three test cuts before you figure it out. You know, usually making adjustments in the wrong direction twice. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing. So. Well, and and honestly, so the last time I used one was when I I did a bunch of dovetailed um, beehive boxes. Oh my god, they make a mess! Like, mm-hmm. I mean, routers make messes anyways, right? Like, there's sure. not a great way to, to contain a router mess. But when you start doing dovetails in like thirty soft pine boxes, oh, like get the shuttle out. Yeah, that's the cleanup. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like the router shoots the chips in one direction, and that's back at you. <laughs> so no matter where you are with yeah. it, it's odds oh, why yeah. you need the face shield router guard. Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. It's like Classic. sitting at it's like sitting at a campfire. No matter where you sit, the smoke is in your face. Yeah. So because I will say that there, I don't know. I, this is just a defect of my personality, but I, when I started at Woodsmith and I read a bunch of stuff about woodworking to kind of get up to speed, and there were just so many people talking about dovetails and hand cut dovetails, and you know you have to build cases with a dovetail, and your drawers if they don't have dovetails in it, you know it's a failure and probably suggest something about your moral character and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, nope, don't care. Don't want to do them. So just out of that plain, 
stubborn contrariness, I avoided dovetails for the longest time mm -hmm. to my detriment. I know, but sure. Well, and I don't know why there's that stigma about dovetails. Like, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, yes, they look good and they're a strong joint. They're a very mechanical joint. Um, but yeah, there's a weird stigma about you're not a fine furniture builder if you can't hand cut dovetails. Like, that's bull. Mm. You know what? I mean, <laughs> it's just like, come on. And if you look at these these guys that are on um, you know, YouTube or, or doing the, the show circuits when we had the show circuits uh, that are you know, just going to shows and sitting there all day hand cutting dovetails as demonstrations. It's like, that's fine and dandy, but so what, yeah. you know, like, yeah. can you build, can you put those dovetails into a case and build a project? Great. That's all I care about. I don't care that you can show off dovetailing a little, you know, eight inch long mm -hmm. piece of soft pine or soft maple, you know, whatever. Yep. Logan is throwing shots and shade at the big <laughs> dovetail industry propaganda. Throwing right it there. down. Yep. No, and, and that's, I mean, that's a valid, I think that's a valid point I want to make. Like there are people that just, there are people that can hand cut dovetails very, very well because right. they've done it forever mm -hmm. and they've cut thousands of dovetails on projects. Um, you know, uh, you have these guys that have their own dovetailing methods like oh that i sell here's my dovetailing kit that i sell you that has you know knives and saws and offset gauges and all that jazz it's like whatever like mm -hmm. i have more respect for the guy that can throw a board into his vice cut that dovetail and get a nice looking drawer out in a half an hour rather than sitting there just beating pins and tail boards together at mm -hmm. a show. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would agree. So, yeah. And I've done a couple of projects in the last few years where I did dovetails and it was one of those things where you end up, I think it's one of those operations that you can end up psyching yourself out about and just getting intimidated over that. The fact that they have to look perfect and, all be this way and then i just was one of those just i'm just gonna do it i'm gonna get the yeah. practice i'm gonna figure out what i need to do to try it and and just do it and ugly dovetails are gonna hold pretty well yeah and you know one of the editors that used to be here ted rafe said he said dovetails always look their worst right after you cut them <laughs> Now, yeah. once you assemble them, glue them up, sand them, plane them, whatever, suddenly they look a ton better. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, you know, and that's, that's, uh, yeah, I, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say something, but, you know, I don't know. I, it, if I, oh, that's what I was going to say. Hand cut dovetails to me should look hand cut. Yeah. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a spectrum of hand cut dovetails. Like they can be nearly perfect, which I think is what everybody strives for. But hand cut dovetails should look hand cut. I don't, if I want a perfect seamless dovetail, I'm going to spend the time setting up a router jig. Sure. You know what I mean? Like if, 
so and that that's kind of been my philosophy of working on these dovetails the last couple of days. It's like I'm doing my best on keeping everything clean, square, crisp, not digging up corners, all that jazz. But um, you know, if they get a little mashed up as I'm moving these boards around and kind of you know organizing parts stuff, so what? I don't really care. They're they're hand cut. They're supposed to look hand cut. I mean, yeah. You know, going back to jigs, I remember when we had uh, Nancy Hiller in for her kitchen cabinet class. Mm-hmm. She loves her Keller dovetail jig. And I will admit that I have very little familiarity with that. But it was amazing to me to see how well <laughs> how well she owned that thing. Yeah, Like, she just knew what, what to do on it, set it up pounded it out bam yeah and for people that are watching this is the keller dovetail jig this is the one that nancy used i should have had her sign this oh yeah and it's so simple too it's just that plate you add you know that strip of wood and and it's funny because we we ordered that from them and they shipped it to us in the and the instructions that they use are a copy from our magazine article on how to, <laughs> to, to use it they printed it out and included it with the with the uh with the jig and well and so what i think is cool about that is it actually uses a i don't know how we got on the subject of dovetailing but it, it uses the uh like a dovetail bit with a router or with a uh, a bearing on it which is mm-hmm. kind of cool yeah so yeah it's i haven't used it yet um but i i picked this up from one of our company sales because it's as simple as you can get. Right. Which is the thing that annoys me about dovetail jigs is they're freaking complicated. Like my, <laughs> my dad has the, uh, the Lee 24 inch one, um, oh, the yeah. big one. Mm-hmm. And it takes me an hour to set that stupid thing up. Like, mm-hmm. so yeah. But again, is that a function of the jig itself or is it a function of you hardly ever use it? Right. It's a function of the user. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Yeah. So, you, oh, go ahead, John. I was going to say, yeah, if you use them all the time, they're super, super simple. It's just like you throw it up on the shelf and come back six months later and it's like, uh, where do I start again? And a lot of fiddling. But yeah, if you use them all the time, they're great. So, on this subject, this is, and Phil mentioned this earlier, uh, have you guys ever used a tool that you just felt like it was right? Like everything else in the world that you had done was wrong until you used this tool. <laughs> I feel like the opposite of that, where when I'm every tool that I use and nobody's watching it and I'm using it incorrectly or for the wrong task, I'm like, this is so wrong. But like nobody's cross- going to know. Like cross cutting with a dado blade? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it feels right, but it's so wrong. <laughs> but it gets the uh, job done so what about you phil uh yes there are a handful of tools that i've used that really just connect with me in a very powerful way i guess just because of how natural it seems that i was able to get those to get the results that i wanted so um, and it speaks to what we've been talking about earlier with preferred methods on stuff is, you know, I like doing dados and grooves 
with a router or router table compared to a table saw. So all things being equal, I'll choose router over table saw. And it's just when I first started doing dados with a tape with a router, it was just like, yeah, this is exactly this is how I want to do it. This is how I want to do it. I know they're loud. I know they create mountain of dust or whatever, but I just like I like that process, how engaged I feel in that process of being able to see it, the crispness that the bits leave compared to a table saw, dado blade, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So I felt that same way when I went from using water stones for sharpening to oil stones. Okay. Yep. Because I had, I had really nice water stones that Steve Johnson had given me. He had some extra ones. Um, and I tried them and I could get sharp tools with them, but I just felt like I was constantly flattening them, babying them to make sure that they had been soaking for the correct amount of time, but not too long and all that kind of stuff. And then I, I think we had done an article here or Vince had some oil stones in or something and I tried them and it was just like, the light went on, you could hear the angel singing and there you go. Mm -hmm. So, and I feel that way about, uh, I have a, it was a gift from my wife, a Lee Nielsen, uh, carcass saw that, sure. yeah. that I use this for my joint for hand joinery for sawing. And it's just a delight to hold, you know, tracks align like a bloodhound and yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's funny, this this whole thing came up because I recently changed from a Lee Nielsen saw. So I've been doing these dovetails on these um, cases I'm working on. And I have two I have two dovetail saws. I have a Eric Florip one, and then I also have a, uh, a Lee Nielsen dovetail saw. And they work very well. Um, they're beautifully made saws. They feel nice. Uh, and they work. And I, and I can cut dovetails pretty well with them by hand. I switched to this bad boy. Oh my god! So this is <laughs> this is a uh, this is a Gai Kochu uh, number three seven two razor saw. So this is a Japanese pole saw, uh, replaceable blades. This this plate is one of their thicker plates, but the steel on it super super hard. Um, and let me tell you why I bought this. Um, so I have this guy right here is a uh, Dave Barron magnetic dovetail guide. Okay. And uh, this just, this makes hand cutting, this gives me all the enjoyment of hand cutting dovetails, but with marginally better or significantly better accuracy than what I have doing it by hand and by eye. And Dave Barron, uh, for anybody that's not familiar with him, he is a uh, furniture maker out of England. Uh, and he sells this guide, and he suggests this saw with it. Um, so you can see it snaps the plate and then sets the angle, all that jazz. Uh, you can use Western-style saws with this, not a problem. Um, but he suggests this, this pole saw. And we have a couple pole saws uh, on our video set. There's a couple floating around the, the studio. Um, and I've used them and I, they always felt nice to use them, but the first time that 
I used that to cut dovetails. It was like trumpets were going off, angels were singing. <laughs> I mean, it was like a, there was this weird, you know, glow in my shop. It was very weird, uh, but it was like holy cow, this is so much more comfortable to me to cut a dovetail with that pull saw than it is with the Western saws. Sure. Very interesting to me. Uh, so much so that I may consider selling my, my Western dovetail saws. Oh boy. I well Yeah. So, and I, I mean, yeah, I might, I, I don't, I haven't decided. Um, I'm trying to create some drama here. Like, will he, will he not? Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. <laughs> but no, but like, I mean, quite seriously, I don't know that after using that guy to cut dovetails, I don't know when I'd go back to those. So it's one of those things. It's like I, if I can sell them, maybe I'll sell them. I don't know. Um, but that was, uh, that was one of them. And the, another one that I mentioned to Phil yesterday, actually, while we were filming, I don't have it sitting close to me. It's in my toolbox. that is probably in the truck still. Um, I love my Lee Nielsen planes. Um, I don't like them as much as I like my like little boxwood smoother from Bill Carter. Uh, but I love my Lee Nielsen's. However, the little miter plane that I made uh, a couple issues ago for the magazine, I adore those. I love that infill style plane. And Phil had one yesterday uh, in mm-hmm. the studio from, what was that? A shop, was that a Shop Notes one? Yeah, it was a, a Shop Notes kind of a classic, in, you know, English, Scottish infill looking plane that Chris Fitch designed and uh, has steel sides and sole and a walnut infill on it. And it had been kicking around the office here just ever since we made it. Yeah. And... I took it home to work because I was working on a project that had some kind of crazy wood on it. I thought I'd just try it. It doesn't have an adjuster, which normally I really prefer, but I took the time to set it up for a fine cut. And man, that just, it's a short length plane. Yeah. Wide, but not super wide. And it just, it's, it's a delight to use. Yeah, well, and that's, yeah, so, like, I, I made the, the statement to Phil yesterday that when I have time to make a handful of infills, like, I'll probably make a, probably make a smoother like that one, um, and then I will probably make, uh, so I have, I'm looking right now on my shelf, I have this little, um, it's a razy plane, it's a, a little um, four plane length plane that one's made by a plane maker by the name of cecil pierce um it is rosewood and apple uh but i might make one that size too uh, that's infill i might get 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 rid of my metal body planes yeah um because i just they're they i love how they feel when i'm when i use them you know what i mean like and i don't know that yeah they're definitely more finicky i mean they're they're not as easy to adjust. You can't just throw it on a piece of wood, throw, you know, turn an adjustment knob and get going. Um, but a large portion of what I do or a large portion of why I use hand tools, cause I enjoy it and yeah. they just, Oh, so my Japanese pole saw now is my dovetail saw. And <laughs> I may forego the, 
the metal body planes for some infills. We'll see. So I, I'm sitting next to that little Razy plane. Is that uh, pole? That little Japanese pole plane that we had floating around. I'm going to grab those real quick so I can show you guys. John, you have any tools that you have a connection with? Oh, I don't know. I guess I don't. Really, yeah have anything that has you know opened up the heavens like for you guys <laughs> like a religious experience <laughs> yeah so this is this is that little rosewood and apple one um i love this style and actually i, I brought a couple of irons home um for my buddy jimmy uh, he had a, a bag full of old english laminated iron so i brought a couple home that are about this size that would work really well for a plane like this um but this guy and this is phil and i talked about this yesterday too so there's this this guy so yeah it's this a japanese has been floating around smoothing plane what's the blade on it about two inches yeah probably yeah uh maybe even more it might be two and a half it's pretty wide yeah the founder of our company Don Peschke, founder of Woodsmith, <clears throat> his dad, Adolf, was a woodworker, silversmith, man of all trades. And uh, he had gotten that, that plane somewhere, not sure, maybe in Japan even, um, and then had somehow given it to Steve Johnson, one of our shop craftsmen here. And Steve used it for a while, and then Steve got into Japanese planes. And I was talking to him about him and he had that one and he gave it to me to try out on the caveat that I wasn't able to have the chip breaker from that plane because Steve had supplied the chip breaker from somewhere else. So I, uh, I took it home. The, the body on it was starting to split a little bit on the back. Yep. So I put in a, uh, a fix, yep, uh, which is a traditional Japanese technique, and sharpened up the blade as best I could and fit the blade to its opening again as best I could and could get it to sort of take some shavings. And then so I put it down, and the next day I came in, and it still wouldn't take shavings, and I felt like I had to play around with it too much so i just ended up not using it and then i think i gave it to ted who gave it to randy who gave it to dennis who gave it to back to steve i don't know i think who did i get it from i don't remember I got it from somebody i wanted to say i got it from Dennis Voles. Possibly. I don't know. Um, I don't remember. But, yeah, it's. I, it feels like the blade should be cutting right now, but I can't get it to take a shaving. But that's another one of those. That, and I think that's what I like about that Japanese pole saw is it's very ergonomic. Yeah. Um, which kind of goes with a lot of, uh, a lot of the Asian-style, Western-style their Eastern style tools are very ergonomic to use. Um, and pulling a plane actually is very, very comfortable. So 
I could see that being a rabbit hole to go down. Um, I'm not going to take that leap just yet, uh, but I could see it being very comfortable to do that. So talk about expensive planes. These can get very expensive too. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause Steve was into uh, a lot of Japanese tools for a while. Cause he had a set of Japanese bench chisels, a set of, Japanese pairing chisels yep. and a handful of planes and he he spent money on good ones which yep. is what you should do but yep. so I don't know I just think I, I'll be interested to hear if any of our viewers just use a have used a tool and experienced the you know divine <laughs> so and, and you know quite honestly some of it i mean there has been tools that i've used that it's like holy crap that actually worked how it was supposed to and, and there's that mm -hmm. but then there's just a time where it's like wow that was sheer pleasure to use you know so and i think higher quality tools tend to have some of that more Right. But, yeah. I don't know. So. Well, I think that wraps it up for today's episode. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks about what you've seen or heard on today's episode, we'd love to hear it. You can leave them with the comments on our YouTube page because we broadcast the podcast on the Woodsmith YouTube channel as well. So be sure to go over there, check that out, and subscribe. Uh, you can also find the podcast at our website, woodsmith.com slash podcast. You can send us an email, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next week for another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast. Bye, everybody. This episode of Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a 1,000 plans covering everything that you'd want to build. From furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com.